Hello, this is Maudlin bringing you my little podcast, Sydney Dark. Very little because it's almost non-existent. But uh, I kind of was planning on putting out three episodes a year just to kind of get the ball rolling. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've not been well the last six months. So here I am on Boxing Day 2018. That's the 26th of December. And I'm just going to wing it, uh, minimal preparation, or I'd be paralysed with inaction. Um, Anyhow, before I bring you a case for today, I'm just sitting here with the bag of a Tip Top Bakery Raisin Toast loaf of bread. And I'm struggling with the fact that on the list of ingredients... They've put a big arrow down from sugars, which are 15.3 grams per 100 grams. So about 15% of the, by weight, of the contents of this bread. And they put an arrow down saying, don't worry, it's all natural sugar, exclamation mark. What the fuck? I mean, isn't sugar natural? Like, don't we get it? from plants mainly processed sugar from sugar cane I think in the US they use sugar beets as well (sighs) I mean that's the problem natural sugar like sugar made by other organisms I suppose there's also honey which has an animal origin of production although you know I'm really struggling with that. Don't worry, it's all natural sugar. Yeah, natural sugar is what making us all obese and uh, diabetic and, uh, yeah, all the rest. Not healthy people. Jesus. Okay, that's that in the bin. So, today, like I thought, I would lazily read you a chapter from a book, maybe with a few little uh, wiki editions if I can slip them in. Uh, This is a classic Australian probably murder case. It's called the shark arm case and it's from 1935. It's up there with Wanda Beach murders and what's the Adelaide one? The Beaumont children as maybe quite not backpacker killer status, because really he was the worst of the worst. But, you know, 20th century Australian violent crime, it's definitely on the list. So, the shark arm case. I should give you a little uh, trigger warning. Uh, This does mention murder, suicide and body parts. So... Brothers Ron and Bert Hobson wanted a star attraction for their aquarium at the seaside Sydney suburb of Coogee. They decided what they needed was a shark, <coughs> a big shark, and therefore set up lines off Maroobra Maruba Beach on the 17th of April 1935. Uh, Coogee and Maroobra are both uh, southern beach suburbs of Sydney. Within 24 hours, they had hooked a monster of the seas, a four-metre tiger shark, so big that it had to be lifted from the sea by block and tackle, Uh, as opposed to on the end of a fishing line. I don't know, it's a shark. Yep. 
the shark which had gorged itself on a smaller shark in the moments leading up to its capture was soon on display at the Hobson Aquarium. Just one week later on Anzac Day, a young man named Narcisse Young was watching the huge shark circling the aquarium pool. Young noticed that the shark seemed distressed and appeared to be making what he described as coughing movements. The shark then then suddenly shuddered and disgorged an object in considerable brownish liquid. The shark had vomited up a human arm. So, I think Wiki says, yeah, there were a small group of people watching, not just uh, young Narcisse. Um, The arm, severed from the shoulder, had a rope knotted with a clove hitch around its wrist. So, generally a hitch is a knot which attaches a rope to another object. A clove hitch. Oh my God, I'd have to Wiki that. Just a moment. Clove hitch for non nautical people or non not people. Yeah, that's not it. Clove hitch. I mean, does anyone care? Obviously, I do. Clove hitch. Okay, it's a type of knot. We knew that. Along with the bowline and the sheep bend, it is often considered one of the most important knots and is commonly referred to as a double hitch. It's two successive half hitches around an object and is most effectively used as a crossing knot. I'm not looking that up. Its typical use is securing lines running along a series of posts, belaying starting lashes or yeah, only gives weak binding. If you look at it, it does end up with the loose ends running in opposite directions, so 180 degrees from each other. So I suppose to make it more secure, you'd then have to attach those free ends to something else. Okay, clove hitch. I think that's probably enough on clove hitches. I want to know more, but... Yeah, that's for another day. Okay, so... Okay, we've got a vomited up human arm, (coughs) which has been chopped off at the shoulder and has a rope around its wrist. The arm was tattooed with the figures of two boxes outlined in red and blue. This tattoo convinced police that identification would be relatively easy, But, just to make sure, police scientists took a human glove from the hand. As far as I can work out, a human glove is like a skin sleeve. Yeah, it's the the skin kind of sloughed off from the meat and bone. The fingerprints from this glove prove beyond doubt that the arm was from a well-known criminal named James Smith. Mm, what does that say? <coughs> yep, so, um, the problem facing police was whether Smith was dead or alive. <laughs> yep, the discovery of the arm was not proof in itself that Smith was dead, although medical specialists advised the police that it was highly unlikely Smith would be found alive. 
I think anyone would probably conclude that was most likely. Naturally, the case captured public imagination and newspapers of the time ran column after column of information regarding the shark arm case. However, police ran into a brick wall in their investigations. Possibly not literally, although, yeah. Despite every attempt to solve the mystery. Police finally learned that Smith had been holidaying near Port Hacking with a man named Patrick Brady, a shearer and noted forger. Uh, Port Hacking is just a southern suburb of Sydney on a um, on an estuary of the same name, Port Hacking Estuary, and uh, near very near Cronulla, which is where the um, Wanda Beach murders occurred. Police were convinced that Smith, who ran an SP book in Sydney, um, is that a worldwide term? So is a bookmaker like he'd take bets on the horse races, maybe dog races, whatever. Uh, he had been involved in criminal activities and had been silenced. Their star witness was a boat builder named Reginald Holmes, who had told them about a dealing with Smith over a forged cheque. In an alleged statement to police, Holmes claimed that Brady had told him, I had a row with Smith and I have done for him. Any squeak out of you and you will also get yours. If I'm not able to get you, one of my cobbers will. So basically, shut up or die. Holmes is alleged to have asked Brady about the body and was told, They won't get that. I dumped that in a tin trunk outside Port Hacking. You might as well know the lot, because then I know who squealed if anything comes out. And if the police ever take me, you will get yours. On 17th May 1935, Brady was charged with Smith's murder. Then, just three days later, there was another sensation when police were asked to intercept a motor launch which had been running out of control on Sydney Harbour. They investigated, boarded the boat and found Holmes at the helm with a bullet wound to his head. (laughs) The wound was not serious and Holmes later told police that he had tried to commit suicide. Okay. I hope if I ever get a bullet wound to the head it's not serious. I'm not sure why then it made him like drive, ride, steer his boat, not steer his boat all over Sydney Harbour in a crazed manner. Maybe a little bit of an attention seeker. So an inquest was ordered into the shark arm case and Holmes's evidence would have been critical, except that he was shot dead in a car near the Sydney Harbour Bridge less than 12 hours before the opening of the inquest on 12th June. Holmes had left his home at nearby McMahon's Point, Uh, which is just at the base of the bridge by the water on the north side of the harbour. And soon after, a wharf labourer heard three shots. Holmes had been shot three times in a circle around his heart. Mm. Yeah, I suppose you can make a circle out of any three shots. Sounds like a triangle to me, but circle will do. Two men were later charged with his murder, but were acquitted. There was almost the unbelievable theory that Holmes had paid someone to kill him, 
If this was true, it was a most unusual suicide. <clears throat> the inquest was conducted by the Sydney City Coroner, Mr Oram, with the Chief Government Medical Officer, Dr Palmer, giving evidence that the arm had not been severed by a surgeon. <laughs> yeah. It was very roughly done, he said. The arm was well preserved with the skin edge at the outer shoulder revealing a sharp cut, which Dr Palmer insisted could only have been made by a knife. Asked how the arm could have been so well preserved after being in a shark's stomach for at least a week, Dr Palmer admitted that he was unable to give an answer. His only plausible... Beep. His only possible explanation was that the shark's gastric secretions might have been affected and added that it was a million to one chance that this one shark in all the sea should have been the only one to be brought to shore alive. Um, okay, although Brady's counsel, Mr Clive Evett, Brady the convicted, insisted that there could be no charge of murder against his client simply because there was no body, Brady faced trial at the Sydney Central Criminal Court on the 9th of September. The trial was before <coughs> Mr Justice Jordan and jury and after the prosecution presented its witnesses, there was a tremendous shock when Mr Everett insisted that the case should not continue continue as there was insufficient evidence. Mr Justice Jordan adjourned the case and when he returned said, in brackets, carry, not carry, scrap that, yep, I'm just, fuck, okay, so Justice Jordan said, the case is one in which the evidence is circumstantial and in any case, it is well established that the jury is not entitled to convict unless there is no other reasonable explanation of the evidence that, than that the accused is guilty. In such cases, if there is a reasonable explanation of evidence which is consistent with innocence, the jury must acquit. Now, in the present case, I think there is no doubt that there is plenty of matter of suspicion on the evidence put before the court in the past two days. But the clear opinion I have formed is that, upon settled principles, a conviction upon the evidence could not be allowed to stand. I have no alternative but to direct an acquittal, and I direct an acquittal. Brady was a free man. Walk out, coffee. Mm. Mm. Caffeine. So the shark arm case almost certainly will never be solved, especially as Brady died in August 1965, aged 71. Okay, that kind of is suggesting Brady's what done it. He insisted to the very end that he was innocent. However, it does seem certain that Smith was murdered by a person or persons unknown, with his body stuffed into a sea trunk and dumped offshore. Okay, I don't think that's why it's called a sea trunk. Yeah. The most plausible explanation for the disgorged arm is that the trunk was not big enough to take the entire body, 
So the left arm was hacked off and tied to the side of the trunk. Very sloppy, people. I mean, really, that's very sloppy. I mean, what about that he was tied up before the arm was hacked off? Anyhow, the huge tiger shark later hooked at Maroubra gobbled up the arm with glee, ripping it from the trunk, but with the rope still attached to the wrist. It certainly was a one in a million chance that the shark was captured and that it disgorged the arm to present the world with a gruesome mystery. Finis. The end. Yeah, maybe not so much of a mystery. Uh, one of the rotters did it, or in cohort, who knows. Hmm. So someone saw it, this one guy. I'd look into this Nassis young guy and just check that this wasn't arm um, chucked in there with a bit of, you know, black tea or something to kind of get a bit of attention on the aquarium and get people to visit. Just saying there are always different theories, aren't there? I mean, we can just mention it at least. Uh, why not? So, skin sleeve, yeah, tasty. It's all a bit of a kind of meatloaf and gravy story. Uh, let me just have a little look on Wiki because I think there were a few differences uh, in a couple of facts. Shark arm case, uh, 3.5 meter tiger shark. Yep. Coogee Aquarium Baths. The building's still there. It was when I was last in Coogee, probably about 10 years ago. Um, it's not an aquarium, though. Uh, the fish, within a week, the fish became ill and vomited in front of a small crowd. I've never seen a vomiting fish. Leaving the left forearm of a man bearing a distinctive tattoo floating in the pool. Before it was captured, the tiger shark had devoured a smaller shark. It was this smaller shark that had originally swallowed the human arm. This is all getting a bit to duckin', isn't it? Hmm. Fingerprints lifted from the hand identified the, that the arm of former boxer and small-time criminal James Jim Smith, born in England, 1890. Uh, his wife Gladys and his brother Edward Smith also identified his arm tattoo. Well, it says his arm and tattoo, but yeah. Uh, Smith led a high-risk lifestyle as he was also a police informer. Three days later, the aquarium owners killed the shark and gutted it, hampering the initial police investigation. Well, they've had three days. I mean, time to take that shark into custody and interrogate it, for God's sakes. Three days. Why they killed this shark, which would have been a bit of a money spinner, wouldn't it? We don't know. Maybe it was too big to keep feeding. Um, early inquiries <coughs> correctly led police to a Sydney businessman named... Reginald William Lloyd Holmes. 
He was born 1892. Holmes was a fraudster and smuggler. Yeah, that's a businessman. He also ran a boat building business at Lavender Bay. Well, next to McMahon's Point, basically. Holmes had employed Smith, the dead dude, sorry, the guy with the um, amputated arm, several times to work insurance scams. Oh, yeah, what a businessman. Boring. Uh, And they began a racket with Patrick Brady, born 1889, a convicted forger and ex-serviceman. Yeah, so, well, he went to war. Okay, and came back. Lucky bugger. Yeah, if he was, if this was in the 30s, yeah, First World War, there were a lot of Aussies. A lot of Aussie men that never came back. Kind of decimated some small country towns. Really, just people lost their husband, brother and father. You know, it was just, uh, it's just disgusting. Horrible war. Unlike the really good wars, you know. Um, Police later established that Jim Smith was blackmailing the wealthy Reginald Holmes. Okay. Jim Smith was last seen drinking and playing cards with Patrick Brady at the Cecil Hotel in Cronulla. So just near Port Hacking where he was supposedly holidaying. Sounds like our old family holidays where you kind of go, what? 45 minutes down the dirt track to the next suburb and, uh, <laughs> you know, put up a tent. Patrick Brady had rented a small cottage in Tulumbi Street, Cronulla, at the time Jim Smith went missing. Police alleged that Smith was murdered at this cottage. Okay, the area was searched by Navy and Air Force, but the rest of Smith's body was never found. Arrest of Brady. Uh, A taxi driver testified that he had taken Patrick Brady from Cronulla to Holmes's address at 3 Bayview Street, McMahon's Point. Wow. That would have been bloody expensive. Yeah. I suppose if you've got all the dirty scams going, you can afford it. So Brady was dishevelled. He had a hand in a pocket and wouldn't take it out. It was clear that he was frightened. Yeah, so, of course, I mean, knife injury for someone who stabs someone to death. We all know that is a thing. Initially, Holmes denied any association with Brady. But four days later... Holmes went into his boat shed and attempted suicide by shooting himself in the head. However, the bullet flattened against the bone of the forehead and he was merely stunned. <laughs> Isn't it, is this the guy, same guy on, on the harbour? I mean, what a lucky dude. Just like the worst shot. The bullet flattened against the bone of the forehead. Since when do foreheads flatten bullets? Revived after falling into the water, he went into his boat shed, but he fell into the water. Oh, he crawled into his speedboat, 
and led two police launches on a chase around Sydney Harbour for several hours until he was finally caught and taken to hospital. In early June 1935, Holmes decided to cooperate with the police. He told detectives uh, that Brady had killed Smith, dismembered his body and stowed it into a trunk that he, he had then thrown into Gunnamatta Bay. So, well, that's Port Hacking area. I think, I presume. He then claimed Patrick Brady had come to his home, showed him the severed arm. Well, there you go. That's why the severed arm isn't in the sea trunk. And threatened Holmes with murder if he did not receive £500 immediately. That's pounds currency, not pounds of, you know, arm flesh. Holmes also admitted that after Brady had left his home, he travelled to the Sydney coastal suburb of Maroubra and discarded Smith's arm into the surf. I don't know, they're really hitting the southern suburbs with these these bits of body. I just didn't want that near the North Shore. North Shore is a bit posher in Sydney. Well, the north and the east suburbs are where the Richies live. Okay, um, second murder. Okay, so uh, my memory is so bloody crap. Was a second murder mentioned in my first but I don't think so. Because on the 11th of June, same year, 1935, Holmes withdrew £500 from his account and late in the evening left home telling his wife he had to meet someone. He was also very cautious as he left his home, accompanied by his wife, to the door of his Nash sedan. I don't think we have Nashes anymore. Um, Replaced by Nissan's, methinks. Early the next morning, he was found dead in his car at Hickson Road, Doors Point. So again, that's right near the Harbour Bridge, but just on the south side of the water. He had been shot three times at close range. Probably another suicide. Just jokes. Um, Oh, the crime scene was made to appear that Holmes had committed suicide. Was this something to do with a triangle of bullets around the heart? Because if you've got to press the trigger three times, that's generally not a suicide if you're hitting, you know around the heart area. Okay, but forensic police had no doubt that he was murdered. Well, good on them, you know. I haven't done the degree yet, but even I guess that. Holmes was due to give evidence at Smith's inquest later that morning. Right, okay, but he was dead, so he couldn't. Uh, He was cremated at Northern Suburbs Crematorium on 13th June 1935. Well, I tell you, my mother died on the 13th of June, not 1935. But, you know, she's also uh, was cremated at Northern Suburbs Crematorium, just uh, in the ride area in the north of the city. Just a, just a bit of a, um, what do you call it, domestic suburb. Yeah, right next to ch- the old Channel 10, I think, studios were there. One of those, one of our four, three non-government channels we've had in Australia until uh, they've been branching out recently. He left an estimated value at over £34,000. 
Yes, please, it would be worth millions of dollars today. In his 1995 book, The Shotgun Murders, Professor Alex Castles claims that Reginald Holmes took out a contract on his own life to spare his family the public disgrace of conviction. Okay, we don't know if that's true or not. Uh, Coroner's inquest into Smith's death, the um, guy who might be alive missing an arm, not Holmes, the suicide murder, uh, rich dude, um, at the City Coroner's Court, 12th June 35, led by Mr Oram, the same day Holmes was found dead in his car with gunshot wounds to his chest. All right, yeah, so... Um, kind of suggests maybe the guy who offed Smith then went and offed Holmes to... I mean, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? He was never offered police protection before his testimony could be heard. Okay, the lawyer serving Brady, Clive Everett, we've heard of already, claimed to the coroner that there was not enough substance to begin the inquest. Everett argued that an arm did not constitute a body and that Jim Smith, minus his arm, could still be alive and in the boxing ring. Except he didn't say the boxing ring. Um... The case has remained unsolved to this day. Yeah, kind of, you know. There's a circle of people, it's one of them. It's not like a serial killer who did a lust murder or anything. Um, so could still be alive, unsolved. I mean, the weird thing really is this shark coughing up an arm or the, sh the shark in the shark coughing up an arm. I mean, that's the area I'd look into. Um, the inquest's most important witness, Reginald Holmes, was dead. The case against Brady fell apart due to lack of evidence. The shark arm murders, the book, suggests that Smith was killed by Brady on the orders of gangland figure Edward Frederick Wayman who was arrested while attempting to defraud a bank with a forged cheque in 1934 and later during a bank robbery. Okay, this was apparently thought because Jim Smith had maybe given evidence to police about him, Wayman, I presume. Um, police charged Brady with the murder of Smith, although his lady not found guilty and acquitted. Yeah, we've been there. For the next 30 years, Brady steadfastly maintained that he was in no way connected to the murder of Jim Smith, just did not do it. He died at, in hospital in Sydney uh, in April 1965, aged 76. The investigation into the murder of Jim Smith and his severed arm became legendary in Australia's legal history. Oh, look, you Yankees will like this. The shark arm case was the basis of a 2003 episode of CSI Miami. There you go. Americans have heard of other countries. My God. Okay, Bill Bryson mentions this case in his book Down Under. Okay, that was known as in a sunburnt country in the US, but wrongly implies that the arm belonged to a swimmer who was eaten by the shark. Bill, Bill, Bill. 
very sloppy research, Bill. And that's that. Okay, so look, confession time. Oh, I did it. No, confession time. I got this book, Murder in the First Degree, True Australian Cases by Jim Main. the University of Sydney book sale every year the University of Sydney has a second-hand book sale in the Great Hall first two hours it's always packed you cannot move people are like slamming like crate loads of books into your head to get you out the way I have been there looking like reading just standing there reading the spines of books and someone's come over and leaned across me and picked up like in one fell swoop the 20 books that are in front of me so <laughs> makes that easier um yeah great book sale though good value this was in the true crime section for two bucks that's what we like um so jim main the author looks like he was a sports journalist um afl australian football uh, he's written a pile of books. He also, like, he's written a lot of books on sport, but he's got this major sideline in violent crime. We all know there's nothing suspicious in that. Okay, he was, um, yeah, the book was written in 1992, so he was born 1943, so, uh, you know, with some vague awareness of copyright law I was thinking or oh, hopefully he's dead because 1943 birth he'd be pushing 76 uh, maybe if he's gone the family art like scouring podcasts for like people reading directly out of his book it's only one chapter and a small one there are heaps of chapters oh, they're not numbered but there must be about 50 chapters um Anyhow, uh, you can't find a picture of this guy online if you Google his name with author and murder. Um, so I'm thinking he's not a narcissist if he's alive and I haven't been able to find an obituary. Uh, he's probably not a narcissist. That's always a good thing. Um, I'm just out of the blue going to think, well, not a narcissist. He's not going to be litigious. I mean... He'll just be like, oh, so cool. Like, you just read out that chapter of my book without doing any work yourself. That's not a problem. Okay, well, that does make me think I am the only person uh, not prescribed, <laughs> subscribed to this little potty. So, um, really, I've bought a book myself, not legal to sell second-hand books, and I've read myself a chapter out loud into my phone uh, oh, this little cool pervert buried under concrete the dance of death anyhow no one's going to buy a book nowadays are they with all the interwebs poison at the parsonage uh, a beer bottle through the heart the house of horrors a gangland murder gather ye rosebuds death at the vicarage thank god we don't have vicarages anymore the killer gi a suspicion of foul play anyhow those are just a few of the other chapters um that pretty well winds it up for today uh 
six months of uh, deep fatigue and dysfunction. Well, really, 29 years of that now, but uh, this year I finally found a medico who will listen to a history, will interact with you if you've had more than, you know, one or two symptoms. Most of them do not cope well with that. And if it's like an ongoing issue that you kind of live with, yeah, finally got got a functional medico and oh, finally got a medication which helps me 29 fucking years. But also, um, having not slept for 29 years, we've tried a series of drugs to help with sleep and I've tried three different antipsychotics. No, I'm not psychotic. I don't have schizophrenia. It's just a thing these days that they use these at lower doses, I think because they just generally dampen down your brain waves. So, yeah, they use them for sleep. I tried one which made me have really restless legs, so that's not good for sleep. So I tried another one. Um, that first one was quetiapine. I think it's Seroquel, very common cheap drug, uh, I think used in schizophrenia mainly. Uh, the next one was olanzapine. I only know generic names in general, um, like the compound name, not the marketing name. Uh, it, not unexpectedly, made me just chunk on weight, six kilograms in however long I used it sporadically for a few months. Yep, that was expected and, yeah, seeing my cholesterol's like almost into you know, I was going to say double figures, but, you know, double figures point something. I mean, not quite. Look, it was 7.9 last time I had it done. I mean, it's kind of indicates imminent death, but yeah. So uh, what's the relevance? Oh, yeah, so putting on weight probably isn't the best. So yeah, I've stopped that one. And then I tried a third one, a centipede. Looking it up, it was only passed by the FDA in 2009 in the States. And by the TGA, Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia in, I think, 2011 it was. To me, this is all very recent. Like, anyhow, there's not much info on adverse uh, reactions. But I took this two nights in a row and, my God, I had the first two solid nights sleep I'd had in 29 years. It was fucking awesome. It was so awesome, I even dragged myself onto Fartbook and made a post about it. Um, unfortunately, the third night I took this, I could not sleep. So I stopped taking it. And for four more nights, I could not sleep. I went back to the psychiatrist who'd prescribed this for sleep and said, look, I'm not coping, I haven't slept for five nights. <laughs> And this is after 29 years of shit sleep. I don't think he believed me. Anyhow, I won't bore you with that interaction. I'd never been to um, emergency at a hospital. Triage, I think you um, septics call it, triage. Sorry, that's not meant to be derogatory. I shouldn't say that's rhyming slang. I don't know if it's cool in some places, but I'm not cool. So, yeah, skip that septic thing. Um, 
So I think uh, either, you know, Americans as in US Americans, I don't know about Canadians, maybe call emergency to hospital um, triage, here we call it A&D as well, accident and emergency. I'd never been, actually I have been, I've taken other people there um, because I care, but yeah, I would be, like, I'm the sort of person who doesn't want to bother anyone. Like, I would have to be kind of crawling in, vomiting up tattooed arms to go to, you know, emergency and ask for someone to, you know, help me. But I thought, I've got to, I've got to just try it out. So if ever it is an emergency, I can not hesitate. I can just see how it works. So I went there, told them I hadn't slept for five nights, kind of really ranted on a bit uh, not really I mean I hadn't slept it was quite hard to put together coherent sentences well I think I did okay actually I mean I probably just got to you know the normal average sentence construction of the populace um yeah and they couldn't really help me because uh, their emergency uh, they did finally look it up and say well look here it does say that a centipede causes insomnia um Anyhow, I posted, actually I posted when I rang a helpline because that's another thing I'd never done, rung a helpline. And again, what if one day I need to ring a helpline? So I did these two things in one week. I went to accident and emergency at a hospital and asked for help. And I went onto a helpline and, yeah, I'm not sure I actually asked for help. I think I just had a download. Uh, yeah, that's what I posted on this podcast actually initially just to see uh, quality and how it all works. Um, anyhow, that story's over. So, uh, yeah, I thought I'd try a very slack-off kind of read-a-few-things podcast today. Hey, Maud. Yeah, I'm not going to edit out uh, any fluffy buckets I made along the way because that's a whole other stage. Anyone with you know, decades of mental and physical paralysis know that, you know, once there's a glitch, once you've got to take that extra step, oh, God, really, that's bloody difficult, you know. That just ceases a project for, you know, till the next century or something. So I'll upload this as episode one because uh, that first random telephone call was just a, uh, what you call it? Okay, I'm losing concentration. So much plant alkaloid this morning to get my brain going and this new medication which uh, sparks me up a bit too. Just to, you know, below par. Like, just just kind of peps me up to subnormal. Um, yeah, that's probably wearing off too. Okay, so I'm going to over and out. Oh, I'll see you, Maud. It's been so nice hanging out with you. Maybe in the future, maybe centuries into the future, someone may listen to you rambling on about shark arms. Okay, love you all. Okay, that's a bit embarrassing, but, you know, there's no one there. Oh, okay, this, actually, I just finally did want to make mention of a friend of mine. Um, this is the a suicide alert, but... Uh, yeah, I started a group for people with depression uh, through meetup.com, which started, I think, in New York after the um, nasty attack there in 2001, 11-9 uh, attack. 
horrible. Yeah, just a disgusting, repulsive crime, wasn't it? Like it was up there with the worst of the worst. Uh, happens all around the planet, these just horrible acts of humans on other humans. Don't digress, uh, Maud. Come on, Maud. Don't digress. What were you saying? Oh, yes. Yeah, so I had a good friend of mine. Well, he was a very supportive person in my life. I met him through a few meetup groups and when I started my own for people in Sydney with anxiety and depression, because let's face it, however much someone cares for you or doesn't, um, they cannot understand it. It's an altered state being depressed or anxious. You're just taken out of a normal baseline. So yeah, we know that someone who's had sadness or anxiety and a bit of, you know, jitters about things they're not going to get it they you just can't get that connection of empathy with them you might get sympathy empathy not so much so I started this group so people could just meet with other people who experience the same things and have a totally non-judgmental understandable kind of place to share their experiences or not if they're struggling just to get out just get out and sit for 40 minutes and leave again if you need be like just take the social requirements away um yeah so when I started this group uh there was this friend of mine Glenn who had um I'd met through the atheist group and documentary film group and he came to my depression group and it was always so bloody lovely to see him there such a nice guy like I just found him really easy to be with and I was a bit overwhelmed doing this I mean I don't have the energy to meet a lot of strangers but I was passionate about it too I wanted to do it but it was just such a relief to come in see him there or I never ran late I was always made to be sure to be there on time because I didn't want to stress anyone out but He'd otherwise walk in and, yeah, it was just a relief to have that friendly face there. And, uh, yeah, he did take his own life uh, just in the last uh, week or two. And um, what a resilient guy, though. It always pisses me off when people talk about building up resilience for people with depression. Fuck hell, people. They are the most resilient folks I know to live day in day out with this and get up out of bed oh, you, you just can't if you haven't been there you don't get it I've had along with my insomnia mental fog physical exhaustion um, I've had depression for 29 years as well very unfocused free-floating depression Oh my God, I came into all this with a lot of techniques just to stay in the nanosecond to get myself sitting up in bed in the morning. You know, some people don't have those techniques with them. And still they get up in the morning and, you know, or maybe they can't and they're bed bound. But Glenn bloody well made the effort and it was so lovely always to see him. But look, it, it's just got to the point where he doesn't want to have to have every day a bloody battle. Medicos, sort this shit out. I have had to drag doctors, 
screaming and shouting all the way over these decades. I mean, and there have been years on end where I haven't gone to a doctor because they've been so patronising and dismissive. Fuck hell. You know, sort it out. It's your responsibility. You've got your fingers in the public purse. We've got Medicare in Australia and, look, I go see a doctor. Uh, they might do what's called bulk billing where they only charge what I will get back by Medicare so I don't pay or they might add on an extra fee, or for some consultations, uh, some specialists, Medicare might cover just a proportion of a standard fee. They are just reaping in the public dollar. And when I think of all the crap doctors I've seen over the years, and I've gone up and paid for these (laughs) insults, like it's a broken system when it comes to mental health, Uh, we can just look at the suicide statistics in the, this country I don't have them to hand but in some age groups there are more suicide deaths than there are, there are road deaths and that's saying something because there are a lot of road deaths uh, it's all yeah bad bad situation so I just wanted to give a shout out to Glenn and uh, thank him Glenn um Glenn Archibald, Archibald, sorry, I can't, it just skips my mind, but what a great friend, an amazing person with a huge staying power who just bloody well didn't want to do it anymore. Yep, he thought medicos were crap too, like, okay, well, I'm sending my love to Glenn and uh, thanking him for his, for letting him know me yeah letting me know him lovely man will be greatly missed okay this is Maud saying over and out okay I just have I had the voice recorder on okay I'm just gonna find that there it is I think so I'm just gonna press stop see you all later